Welcome to the Greenwich Means Business podcast. Welcome back to the Greenwich Means Business podcast. In today's episode, we have Greenwich Business School alumni, Sean Land. He's here to discuss his experience as a property expert and developer, as well as his, his banking experience. Hello, Sean. Hi, Hannah. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Yes. It's amazing to be back after all these years. Can you give our listeners a bit of a background about you? Like, tell us, who is Sean Land? I come from a self-employed family background. My dad had a corner shop. My uncle used to help there. So did my granddad. And we all had to do a shift there, really. So, um, yeah, started in a corner shop. I worked in a cash and carry uh, where my dad used to go shopping. Um, there I learned multiple streams of income in terms of doing my normal job and doing extra jobs that paid me extra, you know, like helping to load people's cards. So it's not anything extravagant. It's just very small habits and just repeating them. And over time, you just sort of leave the crowd. Um, at 16, I did start working in a fast food restaurant, McDonald's. Um, and while at university, I always used to keep my part-time job there as well. So I kept both things running. I did accounting and finance. So once I graduated, fortunately that year, well, shall I say unfortunately, it was the credit crunch that occurred. A lot of people say, shall I take a gap year and took gap years. A lot of people wanted to go traveling, etc. And some people just generally wanted a break. You know, they said, I've been to school, been to college, I've been to uni. I deserve a bit of me time. But for me, it was all about, hey, I'm on a time limit and, you know, I want to achieve great things. So let me keep up this momentum. So from there, I started, um, I I applied to a bank six months prior. I had an interview in February time while I was still at uni. Um, And by the time I had my final interview in May, they had to wait for me to graduate before I could start with them. So I sort of just hit the ground running. I did various roles in the bank while building a personal property portfolio um, to which at the age of 26 I went through a whole career change. I went from being employed to going self-employed and becoming a builder and today I've more hands off and I just generally just look at numbers and pen pushing and pushing people in the right places. So it's more about the right business decisions to make you more successful and um, just sitting in the rooms that create the most value for yourself and others. So that's an overview. Amazing. You've done a lot then <laughs> in your yes, time. We've tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you feel like your degree in accounting and finance helped you get to where you are then? Like obviously you said you started, well, you worked part-time in a fast yes. food restaurant, you worked in a bank, and then you kind of developed where you want to go, what you want to do. Would you say your degree helped you in any of that? I suppose... When you start a degree, it's a lot more self-managed time that you've Mm. got to allocate. Um, No one's pushing you as much because it's up to you to go to your seminars, your lectures. It's up to you to do the work in the background. Um, And it's up to you if you want to turn up or not. Um, There's also leadership skills that you've got to, you know, use in terms of when you get set tasks. You know, the lecturer, the tutor also says we want four of you to get together to work on this project it's up to you you've all got different topics subjects um someone's doing taxation someone doing management sort of different um topics etc so 
it's up to you to manage that diary. So all of these skills of getting on time, getting your car parked, how to be self-sufficient, these life skills are the mechanisms that will you can use this and transfer it to something yeah. else. So it's getting yourself into work on time. It's the same thing as getting to yourself into a seminar on time, yeah. etc. It's these leadership skills that if you want to progress later on, you've got to show how you're taking in charge of a project, etc. And of course, like, you know, I'm a numbers guy. So doing accounting and finance and repeating, you know, certain formulas, algebra and, you know, doing mathematics, you know, this just goes hand in hand. So it was sort of the right topic for me to do. And it just enhanced all of my skills overall. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know you wanted to go into banking? You said you got a job pretty much straight after, like, whilst you're in uni, you got a job and they had to wait for you to graduate. Did you know that's kind of what you wanted to do at first? To be honest, I didn't. But what I did have was great role models and great mentors around me. Um, my grandfather was always very present, you know, while he was alive, etc. Um, and he'd always said to me, I want you to become a bank manager. And I'm like, why a bank manager? But I'm like, he must have a wealth of experience. There must be a reason why he's telling me, you know, I think probably when he first came in the 60s into this country, you know, in the 70s, he had a couple of different jobs. In the 80s, he was a property owner and had to speak to bank managers to get certain deals done. So just by looking at that, he probably thought that piece of the puzzle is one of the most important. So mm. if we've got one of them on the team, then we're <laughs> going to be doing something right. So um, when I looked into banking, I just looked, they had so many different roles there. Mm. And to be honest, um, I actually did a small accounting job during one of my um, summer holidays. So my dad's accountant um it was a local accountant and and my dad had a little word and he said yep come straight in it was on something like three pounds an hour um i had all i of don't these... think that's legal now <laughs> <laughs> definitely not um, i had all these books chucked onto the table and um it was my job to put it in the right subsidiary accounts etc um and it was just a clock watching job really uh, i would enter in numbers into a ledger and um I went through one file, two file, and I'm looking at the time now. I'm like, yeah, it must be nearly lunchtime. And I'm looking up, and from nine o'clock, it's like quarter past nine. I'm like, this is not the job for me. <laughs> like, it's like watching paint dry. Um, we went to a, a few, like, nice uh, parties in terms of the Christmas parties. Um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. The, the jokes were totally different. It was um, people more kept to themselves. Yeah. And I'm a more, um, I'm a person who likes to, interact with people face to face you know I like to talk to you in my job and I like to physically do something at the same time so when I looked at banking I was like right you count money you balance the till you get to talk to customers then I saw personal bankers then I saw premier managers financial advisors I saw um, mortgage advisors etc and I saw banking um, assistants branch managers so I saw quite a lot of diversity diversity in in the job roles um so and I, and I knew I wanted to be in the West End. I'm like, this is where we live in the capital, mm. you know, of the UK, and West End is the place to be. I didn't know if I was going to be there all my life, but I'm like, I have an opportunity here, and I've got to grab it with both hands. So let me expose myself to the the right brands, the right industry, and the right people around me to you know put all of these um, skills in my rucksack and move yeah. along. So one day when I do finally break off to do my own thing. 
I can be more successful. Yeah, you know? you've got that toolbox full of everything you can use. So what was the role you, if we could just go back, what was the role you started at in the bank? So I started off as a cashier. Okay. Um, and they had this rule, 18-month rule. Um, which 18 meant months? 18 months rule that you couldn't move from that sort of job role. Um, me being me, I never take these things <laughs> to heart and, and, and think that's set in stone. So when my first three months came, um, they asked me, do you have any questions for us? And I said, yes. I said, what's the next position to this? <laughs> and they said, well, you know, you've just started and it's only three months and you've just passed probation period and it's 18 months. I said, yeah, that's fine. What's the next role? And she goes, well, there's a couple of different roles. If you want to stay behind the cashier bit, you could be, you know, the manager behind the counter. If you want to go more into sales, then it's one of the personal bankers who advise customers through GI general insurances, uh, refers leads onto a mortgage advisor or a financial advisor and does short term lending or um, savings, for example. So I was like, yeah. I want to get out behind this counter. I don't want to be counting uh, money all my life. Like I want to be pushing numbers on, on a computer screen because um, I felt I felt that my time was, wasn't was wasted because I, I obtained a lot of skills. I can count money very fast now <laughs> <laughs> if I have to, uh, even though cash is going out the window. But I started counting the cash, et cetera. But certain days you want to finish at five and your till didn't balance. Right. It was just getting a simple credit or a debit wrong or you didn't put something through the system. And sometimes you could be there half an hour, which you wouldn't get paid for. So I was like, why would I expose myself to this? So what I needed to do, to do was get leads. So that was to show you had the skills to get on that desk you had to talk to customers. Mm. By talking to customers, you could see things on their accounts, such as large balances, or you just go onto the direct debit sort of screen, which shows the largest direct debit, which is a mortgage. And if you look at the history, you can see that direct debit's changed. So it's on a variable rate, which means they can change their mortgage, which means they can come to Barclays, <laughs> for example. So it was just identifying opportunities where we could help the customer right. and all I had to do was write their, their customer details down on the computer and send it and you'd have a, like a buddy and your buddy was a personal banker right. so even at lunchtime I tried to go same time as my personal banker and go did you like the leads I gave you just to get some feedback and he'll be like well that one was that one wasn't really good you missed this this one was fantastic so it was just my little coaching session within 12 months um Within six months, actually, I got into the Rising Star Academy. This is, they chose only 10 people in the whole of West End onto this Rising Star Academy. I said, look, I do have a degree. You know, I could have started on a graduate scheme, but I wanted to just get into the bank by any means. Um, I do have these other skills where I've worked in other places. Um, and so they, they did, they did recognise that. They got me to do a few presentations in front of all of the branch managers. And before long, within 12 Eight months it took me to get onto a coordinator desk where I was just deal, dealing with queries, but I didn't have a till no more. And then four months later, I was on a uh, personal banking uh, desk. And from there, it just took me 12 months to get headhunted by the APM, which was the Area Performance Manager. Right. So I, I hit all my savings targets. I hit all my lending targets, GI, general insurances, home insurances, etc. And I was number one in West End within 12 months. So everyone was saying, who's, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this guy? And then... The uh, Richard Fuggle, this guy, he came out up to me and he goes, get off your desk, get your stuff, and you're coming with me to the flagship branch. I said, what about my book of clients who I've been looking after? And I've started here in Seoul Square. And he's like, don't worry about that. We've got that all covered. You'll come into this meeting, etc." I got invited to this conference. All of a sudden, it wasn't like a... 
you clock in and you're on your desk. Yeah. It was the first time of being mobile. Yeah. There's no clock in. You walk in. There's a conference around 11 o'clock. From there, we'll speak for a couple of... And then we get to go home a little bit earlier because you've done what you needed to. Yeah. Um, so actually, then what this was called a premier role. And I actually didn't want it because from B1 as a cashier to B3... I became a personal banker and then the next role was B5 and that's the highest you could be in retail banking. Mm -hmm. But I actually wanted to be a financial advisor. Okay. I wanted to advise people on pensions. I wanted to invest their money because I sort of knew a little bit about property um, from my dad. Like when he, my dad and my uncle used to buy property together, I'd be the one with the smallest hand. So I'd put a plastic bag over my, my hand to go and unblock the drain because they're like, we're not paying £200 for a plumber to come on here. We ain't got that sort of money. Um, so I'd do stuff like that, but I'd learn. I'd learn yeah. and my dad would be like, here's a chisel and hammer. I want that lock taken out. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. Let's have a go. Yeah, so just it's, just, it it's just about getting out there and having a go. So anyway, um, I joined the Premier team because another mentor came, Andy Green. He used to be an area manager for the Premier team. During the credit crunch, that role got made redundant and he became a branch manager. And I, was, I moved branches and he said, take this opportunity issue. If you don't take it, like, you don't know when this financial advisor role is going to come. But both roles are B5. So it's a lot easier to move sideways yeah. if, if, rather than doing another jump from B3 to B5 because you don't know if that opportunity will arise. You don't know how long you're going to be in that position before that higher role comes available. Exactly. So I jumped at it. It didn't even take me 12 months to get to number one in West End again. Um, and all it was was the exact same thing as being a personal banker, but... They just gave me 200 clients to look after yeah. who all earn over half a million or had a million pound in assets. Crazy. So it was just looking more in detail how to help these customers and keep a good relationship. And I also knew how to go down Savile Row and places where Elton John used to go and shop. And I just used to go in and walk and introduce myself. I'm the premier manager here. I'd love to, you know, put you onto my portfolio. This is what I could offer you, a one-to-one -one relationship um, in banking. Um, some of my... Um, Clients would take me to the IOD clubs, was the institution of directors club. And they would say, look, I want to speak to you about lending, but I don't want to come to the bank. You're coming over here. And it was a nice place to be. You got treated well um, and you just did the right thing for the client. Um, and I did that for about two and a half years. So how did I achieve all of these great things in the bank? It was all about doing going further than your job role. So there were certain days that I'd get there half an hour before because I wanted to prep how many clients that I was seeing that day. I'd print out their profiles, I'd study, are they single, married, what direct debits they are having, etc. So when I had my morning meeting... You were prepared. Well prepared, mm. yeah. And, and then that person's impressed and then that's like word of mouth, it gets around. There and, we go. It's yeah. sim simple as that. It's just walking into a room to say, you know, is that age old saying... Failing to prepare is preparing yeah. to fail. And the days that I was late and I didn't know who I was seeing, I was all flustered up in the ears and I wouldn't do any business. Yeah. But when I knew Richard was coming, who had two kids on a job of half a million pounds, has a mortgage that's on a variable rate, I knew. I already knew I'm going to talk to this guy about mortgage. Already, before he came, I've got the rate sheet out to find out what rates are latest rates. I've already spoke to Stephen Dunn, my um, uh, 
a financial advisor to ask him, would you mind dropping in during this time? So, because my client doesn't have any protection. He has a lot of income. So if something was to happen to him, insurance would be really valuable to him. So come in and pop in. So he would come in at the right time. Everything was just all coordinated. And I'd also do certain things like the, we used to have a Dropbox. So that was somebody dropping an envelope. You opened up the envelope and they deposit their cash because they were purely too busy to queue up in the line. But no one spoke to these customers because mm. they were always busy. So I'd stay behind for another hour. I'd open these envelopes and I'd just like almost like Google them, but in terms of our internal systems. Yeah. And I'd see a lot of them just have a million or two million in their current account and purely no one's spoken to them. So all I had to do was just get them on the blower, speak to them. And I would do the whole target for the whole month for the whole branch. So yeah. I was always favorite, <laughs> you know. So people say you don't get paid for doing stuff over time. Well, hang on. My basic salary was 35000 and I pulled in 35000 in bonuses. So as a 23-year-old, I'm starting to earn five, £6,000 a month. And then I took that earned income and put it into assets yeah. and got passive income at the same time. I was going to ask what came first, banking or property investment. Yes. We know now. Banking yes. came first. Please, can you tell us a bit more about how you got into property development? And then we'll go a bit on to like your building construction company a bit after that. Sure. Um, so as a kid, when I was growing up, I saw my dad run a corner shop. And it was this corner shop that sort of bought everything. I mean... We wasn't the most wealthiest family. I actually grew up like my dad used to cut my hair at home. And I remember my first trip that I wasn't allowed to go because it cost 50 quid with my secondary school. And then somebody dropped out and they were like, yeah, the, the trip to France, we can get you in for free. And so that was one hurdle. And the second hurdle was like, dad, I need some nice clothes now. And he was like, take one of my jumpers. So I'd wear one of these sort of jumpers. And I've even got picture evidence of this that, you know, but I look back on it and they were good times, you know, that's where we started. Um, so when we was at the shop, etc., cetera, um, we'd, we'd help dad out. And I was like, I see dad here seven days a week. He opens it up at nine o'clock, doesn't come home to 10 o'clock. If I want to see him, I have to go to the shop to go and see him. And then I saw two sets of accounts and there was an account with 70,000 pounds in it. And I was like, that's a lot of money. And it was shared with him and my uncle. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, oh, that's the prop butcher shop we bought across the road. We've turned it into a normal shop and done a little, we spent 10,000 of works and now we've rented it. And that's where the rental income comes from. So I was like, so you right. learn about like getting an additional set of income quite early on. Absolutely. So when I saw that, I was like, I had a light bulb moment, like, so I can put some money into a building and it will give me money every single month without even doing anything. Okay, a little bit of building work and a little bit of maintenance here and there. So I was like, which way am I going? Well, definitely not the shop, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I knew it in my head that I wanted to get into property. Um, so basically it was simple as this. I was working the bank and I started off as a cashier. I'd get 1,300 pounds a month. Saturday, Sunday, I'd work in my McDonald's job. I never left that. I'd earn £100 on a Saturday and £100 on Sunday. End of the month, that was £800. I was living at home still. And so I, I could fully, you know, afford my lifestyle with my maternal wages. Monday to Friday, that all went straight into the savings account. And by the end of the first year, I had just like around £14,000. I just needed a 10% deposit. I found that the mortgage advisor was selling his house and he was desperate. And he, he sold it to me for 140000 10% of that. 
was 14,000. 21, I bought my first house. Oh my God, imagine if house prices were still like that now. <laughs> there's certain part of the country that they, yeah, they, they still are is. and there's some good yields. Um, I do understand it's a lot harder these mm. days. However, we have different things these days. Would I do that same formula or work in two work jobs with the amount of technology and you can sell to anybody around yeah. the world and sell while you're sleeping and drop shipping and we didn't have all of these things so all I knew how to be was a workhorse yeah and it worked you know whatever I had to do to survive you got to do um so yes yeah, so that's what I did and I opened up another separate account so as I was telling you earlier on that I learned multiple streams of income I had an account with Barclays because I worked with Barclays I had another account with another bank which my McDonald money went so I knew to use that card for my expenses and then I opened another new account to receive my rent in it so I'd re I, my mortgage uh, was £500. My income from that house was £1,000. I'd earn £500. That's £6,000 at the end of the year. So I started building that money up. I progressed in the bank, as we said. So from 1300 I started getting 1800 2500 And I still kept that same lifestyle. Yeah. And by the age of 26, I acquired four properties. Can I um, ask, were you still living at home at this point? Um so I was living at home until the next three, four years. Okay. And then, then I got my, yeah, got my own place. Right. Um, so we moved out. Um, but yeah, I always had this moment in my head saying I want, from the age of 13, I said, I really want to make my dad proud. Yeah. And I thought to make him proud that I'd have to reach millionaire status. So by 26, I calculated that I had more than I had four houses and each of them were worth more than 250,000. We'd come out of the recession from 2008, 2010, I started entering the market. Within four or five years, we was at 2014, 2015, a millionaire state is like some of these properties that I bought for 140 jumped to 400,000 yeah. and some of them um, a lot more, etc. So I actually hit a really low point then in my life um, because all I ever wanted to achieve was this millionaire status. Um, and I just wanted to get to that point and then I got there and then there was no big chair there was yeah. no one to pat you on the back there was no one who's really happy for you and there was no one really you could say oh how you doing by the way I'm a millionaire now and they're like because people were like all right whatever so <laughs> it hit a really low point in terms of I couldn't share this success with anybody um, nobody would really understand my world because of my passive income etc mm. and um, I was just thinking so what is my purpose now why am I here? What am I doing here? I've done everything that I ever wanted to. Mm. And then you have to rethink. At a young age as well. Yeah, at a very young age, 26. And I, I, I'm 26 uh, now okay. and I'm not there. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, so I reached a low point and then you had to realign your thoughts and say, hey, hang on. Money and business isn't everything. Mm. Um, actually, I'm, I'm working in this bank now and I'm really overweight <laughs> because I'm not even moving around that much. And I'm eating my... Um, my lunch at my desk in five minutes and I'm eating the wrong stuff. And yeah, this isn't life. I ain't going to last too long if I'm going this way either. So you have to make other things your focus. Yeah. You've got to look after your well-being, your mind. Um, and so I went into the gym and I started training and I went two days, three days, four days. I joined a few sports. I did some cardio training, heavy weight lifting, um, went into bodybuilding then that was my next focus to compete on stage which I did also so it's just about using your transferable skills because bodybuilding was just exactly the same as doing business I had to follow a plan yeah. I had to eat that food train like that 
and just follow it until the day came I was on stage. And that's exactly the same with business. You've got to save, you've got to go to work, get up, be consistent, earn your money, not spend all of it, follow your budget planner that you've put together. You save that money, you times it by them 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, you get to your goal and you apply it, put it to the asset that you want and you, you complete on that house. So yeah. life is actually really, really simple. It's us as human beings who overcomplicate things. Um, and the more I go into this, the more I actually study less and less about numbers and I study more about psychology and how the mind works and how it's us who just put barriers up in mm. front of ourselves when it's not even there. If anyone else on this world has done something, it shows you straight away you can do it. Every, yeah, it's possible. It's only you who's stopping yourself, mm. you know, and it just takes practice, uh, consistency, and you just got to push every day. And it's always been you against you. No yeah. one else is in your head. No one else is thinking like you're thinking. No one else is going to push you harder than you're going to push yourself. And you know the days that you've taken off or you haven't pushed as hard on them days. So you can only yourself to be accountable for. Yeah. yeah. You sound like a very focused person. I feel like you've always got to have like something to work towards. I think that's a good thing to be and a good thing to have in your life as well. Um, so we spoke a bit about your property portfolio and like investment and developing. In that period of time and that experience, when did you then think, okay, I'm paying these builders to do these things to my properties? I could do this. What what was that like light bulb moment right. that switch? So things happen by accident sometimes. And this was where my accident sort of moment came and I fell into something that I never thought I'd ever do. Uh, my first job uh, on one of my houses was just a redecoration job. I put an advert on the shop window, a uh, paint I wanted, and somebody called me on the number and said, yeah, I'm a painter, I'll paint your house. Cost me 500 quid job done very simple second house I stripped all the wallpapers myself evening weekends I'd work with a little plumber who helped me I'd, I'd buy all the materials over the weekend during the week he would come in um, and he charged me very minimal to do these jobs etc um, so I always did little little jobs and then I got my first planning permission approved I bought this house. It only had one and a half bedrooms. What's a half bedroom? Like a single bedroom? <laughs> it's smaller than a single really? bedroom. It okay. was almost like a study room, to right. be honest. But, um, and, it, and it was actually for 197000 in Stratford. Okay. <laughs> you know, so property prices in Stratford are like 800000 now. So mm. you, can, you, can see, you can see, when I bought this, I had a, a vision in my mind. I said, look, Crossrail's coming here. Yeah. And also, um, there's been Westfields are being built, one of the biggest um, shopping centres in Europe. So I thought it'd be a good place. But it had a, this little bit of land on the side. So I went to a planning um, officer guy and I said, look, what can I do with this little space? And he done a drawing. He goes, you can either get another house built on here or you can get an extension. So we tried for the house first because having another house would be better. Um, and that house um, didn't get agreed, but he got the extension approved. So this two bedroom house actually would have been a six bedroom house. Oh, wow. So it, that's not a little bit of land. That's quite a big bit of land it had on it. I'm telling you, <laughs> when you see the video, it looks like about four step, four big leap steps across. Okay. And, and that's how much land. And even I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. Oh, okay. But just the fact that it got two more rooms upstairs and an extra bathroom. We reconfigured the stairs and then we got two more rooms downstairs in the kitchen diner. Um, so I employed a builder. I've got three top builders. I've got three different quotes. And I thought this builder looks like the one. 
However, after two and a half months, building work stopped and it was just like, hey, what's going on? He goes, I need more money. I need more money to finish your roof, etc. So there's me withdrawing some money from the bank. I said, look, here's another £4,000. I've spent 30, 35000 already. I said, here's another 4000 And then what he didn't know is straight after work, I'd go to the property. I'd go upstairs through the scaffolding. I checked the property and it didn't look like nothing was being done. So I then again told him, I said, please, can you get my work done? And he was like, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm like, no, you're on other jobs because you're not here mm. and I've given you money. And then he goes, I need more money. So I gave him another thousand because you, you feel stuck in this position. Yeah. I've never, I'm a kid, really. I'm a 25 year old who doesn't know nothing about building. I need this guy who's half started my house. The brickwork's gone up. The, the, the roof is being joined. Um, there's plumbing. I don't know where the electrics have started or finished. And then um, I bumped into one of his builders and he, one of his builders looked at me and went, Sean, have you been paying him? And I said, yes. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, yes. And he goes, because he hasn't paid me. I said, well, he's taking all the money for himself. And I said, look, I'm pretty stuck and I don't know where to start or finish. I said, I'm going to really, to be honest, I'll have to kick you guys out. And he said to me, well, how about I'm not going to work for this guy because he's, he's, he hasn't paid me from the start of the job. Would you... Could I work for you? Right. So at that point, I took some time off the bank. I said, look, can I have some time off? And uh, they they really loved me at the bank. They were like, okay, that's not a problem. You can have two months off. And I said, look, I don't know if I'm going to come back or not. Um, I can't remember what the term is, but uh, you took uh, this certain amount of time off. Is it like secondment or... Something like yeah. that on, the, on them lines. So me and him, I started learning how to start laying flooring straight away. Oh, so you got taught by another builder. It wasn't like you went and... No, exactly, okay. exactly. So this is the thing. I just thought, how much does it cost to have a builder? And he said to me, Sean, give me £100 a day and I'll be happy. So I thought, how many weeks left on this project? Maybe about two months? £100 a day is £500 a week. 2000 4000 it's going to cost me £4,000 doing it with this guy. That's a lot less than what I'd even pay just a, paid for a bit of builder. You're, 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 cutting out, you're cutting out the middle person. So I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, I need a labourer. I said, you're looking at him. I'm the labourer. And he goes, I need some sand and cement mix. I said, what does that look like? He goes, four buckets of sand, half, half a cement, and put this little liquidizer in it. And I did it. I might have got it wrong once or twice. Until I, and I'm the one paying for these materials, so yeah. I didn't want to get them wrong either. I nicked my dad's van from his shop, which he used to go shopping twice a week. I, I got to know all the building merchants. I used to stick the two-by-four timbers in there, etc. And... As we were finishing this project, I, I learned how to use a chop saw, a jigsaw. And before we knew it, we were laying two, two and a half rooms in the afternoon like of, of flooring. And I was like, hang on, this isn't as hard as it looks. And next door knocked on the door and they went, can you render our back wall? We've been wanting to get that done for ages. So I said to the builder, I went, how much shall I say? And he goes, well, I think the price of this is roughly about £3,000. So I went to the client, I went, £3,000? And I said, you sure you know what you're doing? And he's like, yeah, 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 just say 3000 I said, 3000 A day later, he goes, please, can you come and start? How much deposit do I need to give you? He said, take half the money, 1500 So I ordered this big jumbo sand, the one that comes off a crane of one of these, <laughs> and it only cost 50 quid for all that sand. Ordered about four or five packets of the cement, um, rang up this scaffolding company put the scaffolding up for 400 quid and we got on with it it literally cost me about 800 quid and we took three grand from it in about three days he took three days of money 300 quid and i'm like we've just made two grand in three days i'm this in the is where the money's at i'm in the wrong business <laughs> i get my pay packet at the end of the month and and you know this is yeah this is different so I actually applied for three four other extensions on some of my other properties right. luckily um 
I got in close with the uh, planning officer and I said, look, these are all my property addresses. Tell me what you can achieve on all of them. And, and actually today, as we speak, I'm 36 today. Um, I've got four of my properties that I extended from two little bedroom houses that were roughly about 200,000. They all worth in excess of 800,000 and today they're care homes. So not only did I do the BRRR strategy, which is buy, refurb, rent and then refinance to get all your money back out i also put it on steroids by being the builder so instead of getting a quotation of one hundred twenty thousand, i was getting these extensions done for thirty-five thousand. going to the banks getting the uplift in value and getting all the money out etc to put deposits on more houses but at the, at the at the same time in terms of the rental i'm not going to the normal rental market which people are giving you two thousand for a normal house i get it up to a specific specification of all fireproof and getting nice flat screen tvs lovely decor done getting partners in who are run by ofsted who part of the educational team etc and providing a space for the community to help young children who are in foster care who um you know are not able to live by themselves and need you know a social care worker and then these partners reward you also because they're government funded and instead of two thousand they pay you between four and five thousand so the whole process of this market if you become an expert you'll look at the whole strategy and, and you'll find how to tweak things up you know earn more and cut more if you expense and you can be very successful today i have a 10 million pound property portfolio um it gives me freedom of my time i get to come out to places like today in the greenwich university is a dream come true for me like 15 years ago i was in one of these lecture rooms today i'm speaking to you know an audience uh, last week i was in a, a btech um you know business class and it's just weird to hear that people want to hear my opinions not because i know a, a, a formula it's just because i've actually done it and i've proved it that i've gone and bought assets and made money from it and that's the real thing you've got to be around people who have actually done it there's a lot of people who rich read a couple of books rich dad poor dad think and grow rich etc they think yeah. they know a formula and they think they're ready to teach you everything Maybe they might be, maybe they have a good understanding, but you've also got to be surrounded by people who've actually done it, who can show you, this is how I started, this is how I've done, this is the path. And uh, when you actually do see it for real, you realise that it's not magic. It's not anything that's impossible or hard. It's just not following the same formula as everybody else. It's changing the formula. If, if you've got a normal nine to five, then you're going to get a nine to five wage and you're going to have a nine to five life. Nothing wrong with that nothing at all if that's what you want from life nice simple it's nothing wrong with that but if you want something more if you're more ambitious if you're doing a degree to better yourself to be ahead of everybody else and apply these um subjects and materials that you've learned to a certain industry then then you want to be the best and you want to you want to do something that you're inspired by you want to do something that you're passionate about because then it will never feel like a nine to five if you're an artist and you like to draw you're drawing your weekends and after, you know, work, for example, because it's your passion. It never feels that work. And that's what you really need to find. What What is that 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 drives that in your soul? You know, yeah. it's like, it goes in deep. It's like right now, money doesn't motivate me because if it was, I'd be setting up my own classroom, selling a £12,000 course. Helping people motivates me right yeah. now. That's what touches my soul. When somebody goes, thanks, Sean, that 
feels better than having the next zero in my account. It's just how it works. And yeah. that's why I'm coming more down to this path. I have one final question for you. Yes. And that is, do you have any advice for our current, not only accounting and finance student, students, but our current business school students? With where you are now, everything you've learned, everything you've done, your life so far, what advice can you give our students? <clears throat> so I think listening back to this podcast, you'll probably see that Sean has learned a lot from working. So a book can definitely teach you a lot. It can teach you a formula and a process, but working on the floor in real life sometimes can be totally different. Education can support you. It is your backbone, but the muscles like on the skeleton is the things that you'll learn on the job. So if it's something, if, it's, if there's a topic or a subject that you're studying, try to go in an industry where you can work part-time or on weekends or even do some voluntarily work to try to get some sort of exposure. Then when you hit any dead ends and you think, why is this happening? You can come back to your university, ask your mentors, lecturers, you're facing this issue. They can either help you break them barriers or it makes you realise you need to start changing direction into a different way, complete what you have to, but you're already focused your next steps. It's always about thinking ahead mm -hmm. and thinking about what is my next step. Don't ever just stand still. Of course, we must be present. We mustn't get anxious and look too far ahead. And we might, we shouldn't look back, you know, into the past too much and have, have all of these thoughts like dragging us down. But in your direction of business and planning your life, you obviously need to know which direction you're going and what are you doing today to get one step closer. Because the journey is the beautiful bit. When you get there at the end, it's, you just look back at it and think, all right, what next? You know, mm, as, so, you've, as you've said, have you, as you've yes. exemplified, um, I think that's really good advice. I think you've obviously got a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience behind you. And like you say, it, like we both say, anyone can have a degree, but it's having that experience, building up that CV step by step. Definitely. And then you've got that to show an employer. Definitely. And Hannah, as you were saying earlier on, you've got many opportunities here. The, the university supports existing students and postgraduate students, yeah. you know, by offering roles. So network and speak to people. Speak to Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> so your best advice would be network, building up that experience and just taking opportunities and... Taking on with both hands. That's it. Yeah? Simple. Amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest today. We've enjoyed having you so much. Um, to our listeners, check us out and follow us on Instagram. We're GRE Business. Um, and you'll find a highlight at the top of our page with relevant links to what we've talked about today. I will link Sean's page as well. He's got Instagram. He's got TikTok. He's got everything. So we'll link everything and you can find him there and you can see everything he talks about. And if you want to hear more, you can follow him over there. Brilliant. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you so much. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. Subscribe to never miss an episode.